Across America, BP supports more than 275,000 jobs to keep energy flowing. Jobs like updating turbines at one of our Indiana wind farms and producing more oil and gas with fewer operational emissions in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. As a professional welder, Shayna Ford uses Forge FX to practice over and over, which helps her improve her skills. The more muscle memory that you have, the smoother your weld is. Learn more at meta.com slash metaverse impact. You and Betty and the Nancys and Bills and Joes and Janes will find in the study of science a richer, more rewarding life. Hey, welcome to Inquiring Minds. I'm Indre Viscontis. This is a podcast that explores the space where science and society collide. We want to find out what's true, what's left to discover, and why it matters. A few weeks ago, a friend of mine sent me a link to an article that suggested that some of the clothing I wear might be full of toxic chemicals. At first glance, I didn't give it much thought. But as I read on, I started to realize that this was an investigative report that was done by a pretty reputable company. And it really called out some of the brands that make up actually probably the majority of my clothing. And so I started to wonder, if there are toxic chemicals in our clothing, would we know? And could they actually affect us? Could they get through our, bar- our skin's barrier and, and actually make us sick? So I was excited to hear about a new book by Alden Wicker called To Die For, How Toxic Fashion is Making Us Sick and How We Can Fight Back. She's an award-winning journalist and a sustainable fashion expert. She's the founder and editor-in-chief of the website ecocult.com, which has been very popular and around for about 10 years. And she's published investigative pieces for The New York Times, Vogue, and Wired. Alden Wicker, welcome to Inquiring Minds. Thank you so much for having me. So I think this book is super timely, only because it's really personally relevant to me, like in the past week or so, Uh, because I was, you know, scrolling on social media as one does. And this one article caught my eye, which was about Athleta and how there's a, you know, high, a large amount of, of BPA potentially in their clothing. And like, that's basically my uniform um, since the pandemic, you know, <laughs> walk around in, in yoga pants and sports bras. And um, apparently they can be toxic. So, you know, I know we can't, we can't say that without potentially getting sued by Athleta. So I'm just saying I heard it on the internet. Um, but here you're an expert. <laughs> so, so what's going on? Is there any truth to this idea that our clothing can actually make us sick? Yeah, there absolutely is a truth to uh, to this. And I think this is all really new information for a lot of people. Um, even, you know, I've been writing about sustainable fashion for over a decade for freelance and also for my own website, EcoCult. And, you know, back when I heard first heard about this idea that clothing could make you sick, this was in, I think, 2018 or 2019. And I was like, that can't be true. Like, I've never heard anything about that. You know, I haven't heard 
you know, like I, I thought, you know, you hear about all sorts of things making you sick. There's a lot of misinformation out there. So I thought if there's literally no smoke, then there cannot be a fire. But it turns out that there's just been, uh, it's just been really kept hush hush and there just hasn't been enough research on it. So what you were seeing was there's a, an environmental nonprofit in California called the Center for Environmental Health. And um, they've been pulling products, consumer products, and having them tested for certain substances that are known to be toxic or bad for our health. One of those substances is BPA. And California specifically says, not that you can't have BPA in your consumer product, but that if you're a company and you're selling a product to Californians and it has some of these toxic substances in it, um, things like phthalates, uh, BPA, which is bisphenol A, which is um, a hormone disrupting chemical, as is phthalates. They're also hormone disrupting and other toxic, you know, lead, things like that. If you're selling a product and it has one of these things in it and you don't tell consumers that there is a danger, then you can be uh, notified and then you can be sued. So um, the Center for Environmental Health has been testing all these products and they found BPA this hormone disrupting chemical. Um, you might've heard about it because there was a big scare around baby bottles and uh, water bottles some time ago. Um, so they found it in sports bras. They found it in socks first. They found it in um, other polyester products with spandex, which makes them stretchy. So really any of your athleisure or athletic gear that's stretchy and tight is at risk. And I think one of the other really interesting things about this was that they found it in all sorts of brands. So we're not just talking about sketchy, you know, only sold on Instagram brands that you've never heard of or, you know, random quote unquote brands that are on uh, Amazon or Shein or anything. They found it in Nike and uh, Adidas and like all these other brands that, you know, actually do have programs to try to keep their uh, products uh, non-toxic. So it was, um, that was a big wake-up call, actually. Yeah. So, I mean, when I read that, there's a part of me, I, I remember the baby bottle thing too. Uh, and I remember sort of, you know, especially as a new parent being panicked about that <laughs> and like, you know, buying all these glass bottles, <laughs> which like thankfully never shattered and, you know, created a bigger problem. Um, you know, but and it, it was hard for me, though, to believe that these kinds of amounts you know, that that it could be harmful. And, and the reason that I, I think I'm still skeptical on this is because I don't know how you would run the study to demonstrate it. I mean, we've got so much information about alcohol. And for decades, the story was so conflicting, because it's virtually impossible to ask people to, you know, be part of a randomized controlled trial in which they like, either do or don't drink alcohol for a lifetime, right? Um, and same thing with clothing. I mean, how do you how do you test whether the um, I mean, like, I get that there's these amounts in the clothing, but is it seeping into like, how do you know whether or not it can seep into the skin and actually affect us? Yeah, I mean, you're right. There's a lot that we don't know. You know, we don't there hasn't been a good study on you know, how much of these toxic substances, if they end up on our skin, how much they're being absorbed into the skin. So for example, we know uh, PFAS, perfluorinated chemistry, like the kind of stuff that you would find in Teflon and rain resistant outdoor gear. We know that that stuff is flaking off into our home's dust. We know it's 
getting onto our skin from these treated products, but we don't, nobody's studied yet, like how much of it gets through our skin into our, our blood. But we do know when it comes to BPA, there have been studies that show, there's been at least one really good study that showed that touching BPA receipt paper, covered receipt paper, would elevate people's levels of BPA in their urine. So we know that BPA can, once it touches your skin, it can get through your skin into um, into your body. So we know that. We also know that um, that when you sweat in these products, that sweat can help draw whatever is in that fabric out of the fabric and onto the skin. So that's also... Uh, another data point. And then we also know that when it comes to hormone disrupting chemicals, they're officially called endocrine disruptors, there's increasing evidence and a lot of uh, majority of researchers have started to believe that um, the dose does not make the poison. So for things like you might have heard that like if you drink enough water or you ingest enough salt, you can die, right? So the dose makes the poison. Um, and that's true for things like formaldehyde. You know, there's formaldehyde in apples. You know, there was this whole thing in California about how Starbucks was going to have to label its coffee as carcinogenic because of certain products in there at tiny, 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 tiny levels. But when it comes to endocrine disruptors, they're kind of chaotic. Um, just a tiny bit. We're talking parts per billion. We're talking some drops in an Olympic sized swimming pool have been shown to have been able to penetrate into, um, you know, into our bodies and have health effects on not just, you know, us, but also um, if we're carrying a baby, um, if we're going to carry a baby in the future, um, that baby, uh, that fetus might have health effects after they're born because of endocrine disruptors. So just a tiny amount of an endocrine disruptor can have pretty chaotic and not well understood, but it can have health effects. So you, when you add all of those things together, it's really alarming. And, you know, we should be cautious about, you know, letting these things into our, um, into our athletic products, not just our food packaging, but also the things that we're wearing against our skin and sweating in. So I feel a little bit better because I don't actually sweat in my athleisure gear. That's just, you know, <laughs> you know for everyday wear. Um, but I am concerned now that, you know, I have given my children asthma and eczema because of my yoga pant habit. So um, that's not good. That's adding to my mother's guilt. But, you know, you you and I, and I want to start out by, um, or, I, or I guess we've already been talking for a while, but I want to um, ask you about how you started out your book to die for with the Delta Airlines case, because in some ways, you know, it's still hard for me to accept that, you know, the kinds of choices that we make in terms of what we wear can have these pretty profound effects on our kids and, and on our health. But in your Delta Airlines story, I mean, that had an immediate visible effect on the skin of the people that were forced to wear these uniforms. So let's start there, because I feel like in some ways that's that's a, an easier um, story for me to track. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, yeah, like I said, I first heard about this, um, I think God, I should ch double check this. It was either 2018 or 2019. Um, and a radio show reached out to me and they said, hey, um, Delta airline attendants, they're suing Delta. They're suing Land's End, the maker of their uniforms, because they're saying that their uniforms are making them sick. Wow. Land's End is, a, is like n a notoriously a brand known for like high quality clothing. 
Yeah, absolutely. And so Land's End also apparently makes uniforms. Um, they've made uniforms for several other airlines as well. And some of those other airlines actually had used Land's End uniforms to replace other uniforms that had been toxic in making uh, attendance sick. So it was surprising that this was happening. But some of the, uh, the health effects that um, I ended up reading about and also talking about with some of these Delta employees were I mean, they're harrowing, right? Like some of the, they, these women would become completely disabled when they were wearing the uniforms or around other uh, attendants in the plane that were wearing these uniforms, right? Breathing problems, rashes, um, severe eczema, like lesions that were bloody because they were so bad. I actually just flew on Delta um, a few days ago and I always sort of like, I don't want to, I don't want to bother them, but I'm always like, um, excuse me when they're giving out pretzels. Like, can you, um, so I see you have the new uniforms. Like, did you have problems with them? And, um, this woman told me, um, yeah, she said I couldn't breathe. I couldn't breathe when I was wearing it. And I didn't want to attribute it to the uniforms because Delta had them tested. They said they were fine. Everything was under the limit for safety. You know, the chemicals on there couldn't have been causing my problems. And so I wanted to believe them. But eventually she said she just got um, a lookalike uniform that she bought. um, And uh, she said it was night and day. Her symptoms immediately went away. And yeah, I mean, the thing is, is that the airline attendants are – they're sort of canaries in the coal mine. They're um, they're this experiment, this like really actually neat closed experiment where at four different airlines, they all got them at the same time. They all started wearing them the pretty much the same day, right? So there's an official rollout day. They um, they start getting these variety of health problems at the same time. They start talking to each other about it. Um, you know, what's different? Well, the uniforms. It happens in both genders. It happens in all age groups. And uh, there was even a Harvard study of Alaska attendants that showed that their reporting of certain illnesses and conditions um, before the uniforms and after the uniforms, it went up. So things like chemical sensitivity, uh, breathing problems, rashes, uh, fatigue, uh, hair loss, things like that. Um, the study did not track long-term health problems, so like like cancer, um, autoimmune disease, things like that. Though anecdotally, I've heard from a lot of attendants that they eventually did develop pretty severe autoimmune diseases like lupus, um, fibromyalgia. Um, one Delta attendant told me that she uh, has skin cancer now on her nipple, which uh, clearly is not from sun exposure. So really, really serious stuff. And it's sort of clear what's causing it. But you know, with you or I, if we're wearing things that have these finishes, we wear such a variety of things. We don't have, we can't talk to anybody else who's wearing the exact same thing as long as we are to compare notes. So it's really hard to make that connection. Yeah. And, you know, I think that, especially here as a a sort of really evidence-based show that it, you know, it's, it's hard to make that connection. And I think that still leaves room for some skepticism. But on the other hand, um, you know, because these kinds of, you know, anecdotal things are, you know, there's, there's lots of reasons why she might've gotten cancer, et cetera. But I, but I agree with you that, that there seems to be, you know, a connection here, and it and it warrants further study. And I and so I wonder if, um, you know, except, that at, but at the same time, a lot of these these uh, companies, and as you mentioned it, they don't 
they didn't it's not like they're pulling the things from market like it's like you know if you go to Athleta, they made a statement saying that they don't, you know, that there is no uh, toxic, there are no toxic chemicals in their products, and they stand by their products. And it's not like they're pulling them from the shelves. And so there's a part of me too, that wonders about, you know, are we are we at the early stages of something like tobacco use and smoking, where um, companies really are in denial, even though they kind of know that there's, you know, I don't know, you know, that 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 there's probably a risk here. Or do you feel like even the industry itself is not convinced yet that there's a kind of one-to-one relationship between the kinds of chemicals that are found in the clothing and these adverse health effects? Yeah, I think I think it's a combination. Um, so a few things. Like one is that a lot of brands, some brands have people, experts on staff that understand uh, chemicals. Some brands do not. Right. So some brands, they they could turn to somebody within the brand and they could say, like, what's going on here? And that person would sort of explain what's going on. A lot of them have nobody on staff that can speak to this. They just ask their factories to get them a product with certain performance qualities and the factories oblige. So I think a lot of brands don't really fully understand what's going on. Um, There's very few people who are unaffiliated with brands um, and very few experts that are not some in some way paid by the industry who can talk about this, right? So we have, there are official textile limits that are provided as voluntary limits by various consultancies and labs and labels. Um, but a lot of them are based on sort of like best practice or hunches or, you know, like outdated research. So what happens is, is that a lot of these brands are are paying experts or paying labs or paying certifications to give them a clean bill of health, right? They send their stuff off to get test, tested and they say, um, you know, like, is it clean? And it comes back with this clean bill of health based on testing of, you know, some chemicals. They're never going to be able to test for 30,000 different chemicals, right? Or even 10,000 or even 3,000. It would be too expensive. So they test for a bunch of them that they think they're high risk for. And then if they get the clean bill of health, they can hold that up and say, we don't agree with your findings. Look, we got it tested. They said it was fine. And so there's just a lot of confusion right now amongst, you know, brands um, and especially consumers, but brands, I don't think brands fully understand what's, what's happening right now. And you can kind of see the arc of this in terms of what I mentioned before, which is PFAS, right? The the Teflon, the, you know, um, it gives waterproofing to fabrics and stain proofing to fabrics. And so right now we're at this point where PFAS has become the new lead in our environment. It's everywhere. It's contaminated everything. It's in our water. It's on, it's still on a ton of outdoor products. It's still on a, a ton of like, normal products that it just shouldn't be on, right? It's It's been found in really high levels on um, children's uniforms, school uniforms. It's been found in Thinks underwear, um, the period panties. Uh, Thinks just had a huge settlement. And so they're just starting to catch up to this. There's legislation in New York and California that's been passed that said, like, you can't put it on apparel anymore. But brands are still trying to figure out, like, okay, so like, who do we talk to about this in our supply chain? How do we test for it? How do we know? What about contamination? Like all of these different things. And I think, you know, we're just seeing brands start to take P 
PFAS seriously. And now they're like, oh no, like now they're finding BPA. And I think they're just like, oh God, like we've got enough on our hands with PFAS. Now we have to worry about BPA in our stuff. Like, I don't even know how it got in there. Why is it in there? Um, is this a problem that we should worry about? And I think they're going to stall as long as possible before admitting that it's a problem because you know, if it's found in literally every single polyester product with stretchy spandex, like how would they, they would have to pull everything. What would they sell? BP added more than $70 billion to the U.S. economy in 2022. Investments like acquiring America's largest biogas producer, Arkea Energy, and starting up new infrastructure in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. I'm Cindy Lauper. My psoriasis was all over, even on my scalp, which may mean four times the risk for psoriatic arthritis. But Cosentix works on both. Cosentix secukinumab is prescribed for adults with moderate to severe plaque psoriasis 300 milligram dose and adults with active psoriatic arthritis 150 milligram dose. Don't use if you're allergic to Cosentix. Before starting, get checked for TB. Serious allergic reactions, severe skin reactions that look like eczema, and an increased risk of infections, some fatal, have occurred. Cosentix may lower ability to fight infections, so tell your doctor if you have an infection or symptoms like fevers, sweats, chills, muscle aches, or cough, had a vaccine or plan to, or if IBD symptoms develop or worsen. Learn more at Cosentix.com or one Eight four four Cosentix. Ask your doctor about Cosentix. Ophthalmologist Dr. Strauss has seen firsthand how the metaverse is helping surgeons practice the procedures to treat cataracts. Cataracts are the primary cause of avoidable blindness. He works with a virtual reality training platform developed by Fundamental VR and Orbis International to help surgeons develop the muscle memory they need. The result? More confident, capable surgeons. And even more importantly, patients who can see. Explore more stories like Dr. Strauss's at meta.com slash metaverse impact. Yeah, I mean, I mean, and that's exactly the worry is that it isn't everything. So, you know, you're in a kind of catch 22 situation. Like on the one hand, I can see why, you know, these these companies are are not at all motivated to um, to delve too deeply into this. But on the other hand, if it is really in everything we're wearing, then you know, when do when should we be expecting to see some of these effects? You know, you um, you mentioned BPA in particular, but um, but there, you know, and PFAS, like, you know, there there doesn't seem to be, and maybe there is, maybe, maybe there's some evidence that there's also now uh, more of these. Like, are we just finding out that our clothes contain more of these kinds of chemicals because you know we all like stretchy fabrics now that you know waistbands are no longer. <laughs> in style or is it you know and so so when should when should we see this this effect on the population um if there's more of them or is it just something that's been around this whole time and you know these these kinds of health effects we've just been that they're already here and that and that we're just suffering from them but without knowing their cause i think it's actually a combination i think that in the past 20 years Brands have used fancy finishes and performance finishes and performance fabrics in order to sell their products for at a markup, right? Um, if they can put a little, you know, trademark next to it, 
then they can sell it for more money. It can be a trade secret, all of these different things, right? It's not profitable to sell a plain cotton white t-shirt. It is profitable to sell a cotton t-shirt that is stain-proofed and anti-wrinkle and all of these different things. So we are seeing more and more finishes being put on a lot of these products. I mean, there's a reason why the attendants start, like tenants, uh, the airline attendants started getting really sick in the past decade as they got new uniforms is because these new uniforms, uh, first of all, they started being synthetic. They also started coming with all of these fun performance properties, stain proof and odor proof and mold proof and wrinkle proof and like all of these different things. I mean, so you have a lot of layers of chemistry put on top of them. So, so it is partly that we're seeing more of this stuff getting put on things. Also, we've outsourced production to a lot of different countries that have very lax environmental standards, are really good at getting faked tests, saying things are, are safe. Um, they can put anything they want on there. There are some chemicals that are banned for every use and in every way in the United States. If you put that chemical, something like chlordane, which is an extremely toxic pesticide, you could put that on a piece of clothing, sell it in, let's say, Ohio to a consumer, and you've done nothing illegal. So there's also the outsourcing aspect. And then um, on top of that, I think we're just starting to understand a little bit more like what these chemicals do to the body. But again, like it's very, very hard to link a person's health effects to what they're wearing, especially if it's not a uniform that they're wearing all the time. The best studies we have on exposure to chemicals are usually on factory workers who are working in a factory, something like a permanent press factory, where you can say, okay, they were exposed to this much formaldehyde every single day that they were working. And now we're seeing that there's this much higher of a chance of them getting something like, like leukemia. That kind of study can take 10 years and you're just not going to get that on, um, on like a population level study. Like where you're asking people like, what's in your closet? Well, you know, 250 items later, like which which one was it that caused these health effects? Yeah, I mean, I think that's that's kind of the the scary side of it from the scientific perspective is that this is going to be really hard to study and and really hard to understand. Um, we talked a little bit about the kinds of health effects that uh, people seem to be associating with uh, these chemicals in their fashion. Uh, you talked about autoimmune diseases. Um, and so I, I assume that includes things like asthma and eczema, which seem kind of related to that part of the, the spectrum in terms of mechanism. And infertility, uh, we, if we think about maybe BPA and sort of the hormonal effects, is there anything out of those categories uh, that you feel like, you know, that there's a kind of specific link that we've seen? Like, why is it that the, you know, autoimmune issues might be triggered by some of these chemicals? Do we know that? Yeah, well, I think, you know, you mentioned it, but uh, so, uh, in a lot of cases, if somebody's starting to have allergic reactions, um, if you don't get those aller allergic reactions under control, they can, you know, turn into chronic inflammation, which can turn into autoimmune diseases. But there's starting to be preliminary research around. Out of Duke, there was uh, a study led by Heather Stapleton, Lee Ferguson, and um, Kirsten Overdahl, and 
This study was looking specifically at azobenzene dispersed dyes. These are the types of dyes that you pretty much have to use on polyester, save for there's a few exceptions. But if you're buying a polyester product and it has color, it has dispersed dyes in it. And um, they first started studying this because they were just finding this chemical in house dust. They were like, what is this chemical? Like, where is it coming from? And they started to realize, oh, maybe it's coming from polyester textiles. Um, And the reason why they started looking into this even more is because Heather Stapleton has um, a son who, Dr. Heather Stapleton has a son who she bought a polyester shirt for. He wore it. And then when he Uh, when she took it off later because he was complaining that he was itchy, it had a rash in the pattern of the, of the shirt. And so as a mother, she started being like, you know, alarm bells are going off. And so they ended up doing this, like all this research. And the final conclusion was that yes, there's a ton of these dyes in uh, polyester products. They are getting into our house dust, which means we're probably ingesting them and breathing them in. And then on top of that, that they are linked to uh, to skin sens- uh, sensitization, so things like rashes. And this is, you know, we've known for a while that certain azo dyes have been linked to cancer, that they're sensitizers. Um, if you go into your dermatologist and you say like, hey, I'm having skin problems, they might give you a patch test where they put a bunch of stuff on your back. And a couple of those things are dispersed dyes for polyester. The thing is, is that the industry was saying, well, it's just a few of them. The rest are okay. But we haven't studied the rest. Uh, You know, these researchers were like even trying to figure out what these chemicals are. And they're not even in the literature. Like they're not even listed in the literature. Uh, Nobody's looked at them. Nobody's studied them. So, you know, we're being told like, don't worry about it. We would know if it was a problem. We wouldn't know because they haven't been studied. Yeah, I mean, I think that that's yeah, I I, I hear you, and I I yeah, I think it's it is very alarming to think about just the magnitude of of potential mechanisms, but also you know, yeah, I mean, it does seem, it does seem like there's a lot of uh, areas that need further studying, especially as a lot of these new um, techniques, as you mentioned, to make the clothing more sellable, are probably coming online all the time. And yeah, and so, but I, I also, you know, I'm also always very mindful that, you know, we don't want to cause panic if it's not there. But one other uh, outcome that you talk about is society-wide weight gain. And I wonder if you could sort of tell us about what you think the mechanism might be there. Yeah, I mean, obviously, this is a really touchy subject because um, as you as you may know, uh, the term obesity is uh, a little bit controversial. How do we measure it? How do we define it? Uh, it can seem a little bit ar- arbitrary. So I use weight fluc- I like to use weight fluctuations instead of obesity. But you know, in all of the research that you see around the toxic effects effects of perfluorinated chemistry PFAS, obesity is one of the things that a research has linked to um, exposure to PFAS. I think you know, can we say that obesity is caused by PFAS? Potentially, it could be like a hormonal thing, right? Uh, PFAS is a is an endocrine disruptor. Your hormones do uh, have a lot to do with your appetite and your your weight, right? If somebody has hypo or hyperthyroidism, they might have problems with like wildly fluctuating weight. So that's the mechanism there. 
I talk in the book about how one of the flight attendants um, just like gained 40 pounds in a year, nothing else changed. And obviously that set off alarm bells for her. So it's, it is, there's been some like talk about why, what, what is causing the so-called obesity epidemic, right? What changed? And there could be a, a bunch of different things. There's a lot of debate around it, but one of the substances that has been fingered is PFAS, especially because it's, it is in our water, it is in our products, and it is in our homes. And it was invented in the uh, 1950s, but it became more and more widespread by the 80s and 90s, which is about when the obesity epidemic really started to take off. So what do you hope is the outcome of people understanding this? I mean, I I understand that, you know, we probably want to call for more uh, scientific studies so that we can understand, you know, how, you know, what the effects are and how big they are and and how much we should really be worried about this. But you also mentioned that, you know, there isn't a lot of regulation here. And so that suggests that there's a kind of policy making that you hope uh, is is ultimately down the pipeline. So what do you hope might change that uh, that might make it safer for us to wear the clothes that, you know, feel good on us. Yeah. I mean, there's a few really, uh, there's a few changes. I mean, putting aside an entire overhaul of the entire chemical industry, which I think is far, far, far overdue. I mean, the EPA hasn't really made any significant updates or banned any chemicals since the 80s. Um, it's actually egregious. But there is specifically when it comes to fashion, I think one thing that we really need is we need an ingredient list. So if you know you're allergic to dispersed dyes or nickel or any of these other, you know, uh, chemicals that could be in fashion um, or you want to avoid PFAS, there's no way for you to know what's in your clothing, right? So when you pick up a cleaning product, uh, when you pick up a beauty product, it'll tell you all the ingredients. But all fashion will tell you is that it is you know, 96 polyester and 4% spandex, um, which doesn't really give you all the information you need as a consumer. Um, Now, I say that and I want to caveat it by saying that um, I don't think this is a shopping issue. I don't think we're going to choose this, not that, out of this problem. And I don't want to put more pressure on especially women to sort of make the perfect shopping choices all the time and uh, I don't want this to turn into like another way that uh, people with resources can keep themselves safe when people without resources can't. So um, this is just a starting point because I think once people and legislators and um, other you know nonprofits actually have a clear view of all the different chemicals that are in clothing, then they'll be more well resourced to take the next step, which is to say, you know, these things should not be in clothing. They should just they just shouldn't be there. We shouldn't have endocrine disruptors. We shouldn't have PFAS, we shouldn't have BPA, we shouldn't have phthalates, we shouldn't have, you know, we should be able to make a choice that if we're allergic, we can pick up something with confidence and know it's not going to cause us to break out in hives or, or exacerbate our um, asthma. So that's, that's one thing. I uh, yeah, and just a general overhaul of how we do chemistry in the United States, I think, you know, we don't have federal legislation that protects us when it comes to clothing. Um, it only federal legislation only looks at four chemicals and only in uh, children's products. So again, like there's there's nothing limiting what you can put in adult products, um, even maternity wear, which is is pretty uh, is pretty it's pretty scary. 
Yeah, definitely need a lot more chemists uh, <laughs> to be educated and and ready to help us understand this complexity. I want to remind our listeners that Alden Wicker's book, To Die For, How Toxic Fashion is Making Us Sick and How We Can Fight Back, is available at booksellers everywhere. Okay, one quick last question, which is about the eco side of this, um, because I think that's also something that our listeners are really keen to understand. I mean, fast fashion, we know, is terrible for the environment, not just in terms of how what it, you know, the production, but then what happens when you discard all of that material. Um, what are what's some advice that you would give people who are who really want to uh, make better decisions according to their values in, in preserving and protecting the environment um, and yet still want to look good? Yeah. Um, so yeah, I would avoid, uh, ultra fast fashion brands. So when I talk about ultra fast fashion brands, I'm talking something about something like Shein, about the kind of stuff that you can get on Amazon or just from like random companies you never heard of. They don't actually care about anything that has to do with the environment. Uh, so they don't care about your health. They don't care about the health of workers. They don't care about the health of the communities where these things are made. So, and also, they never show up looking like they do in the picture anyway. So it's not really a good bargain if it's just you can't even wear it because it's garbage. So avoid ultra fast fashion brands. Um, I would say uh, develop a skill set of taking care of your clothes. So, um, you know, my girlfriends and I have been talking recently about just these like dumb little things about like what to do if you get a stain on something, you know, white cotton a shirt and how to get it out. And once you develop those skills, um, you're going to save yourself a lot of money and grief. And also you don't need to like throw something out as soon as it gets a little bit uh, stained or torn or anything. So I would suggest to do that. Um, And, uh, you know, buy from companies that care about their reputation and have have tried to do something about this. There are brands out there that have done absolutely nothing at all. Um, So yeah. Well, Alden, thank you so much for um, being on Inquiring Minds and helping us make better choices. It was my pleasure being here. Thank you so much. Well, that's it for another episode. And before I go throwing out all my yoga pants, I just need to remind myself that Alden's warning is that we just don't know how the materials in the clothes that we wear may or may not be affecting us. It's not that we know definitively that they are affecting us, but rather that there's more research to be done. So that's it for another episode. Thanks for listening. And if you want to hear more, don't forget to subscribe. If you'd like to get an ad-free version of the show, consider supporting us at patreon.com slash inquiring minds. I want to especially thank David Noel, Herring Chang, Sean Johnson, Jordan Miller, Kyle Raihala, Michael Galgul, Eric Clark, Yushi Lin, Clark Lindgren, Joelle, Stefan Meyer Awald, Dale LeMaster, and Charles Blyle. Inquiring Minds is produced by Adam Isaac. I'm your host, Indre Viscontis. See you soon. BP added more than $70 billion to the U.S. economy in 2022 by making investments from coast to coast. Investments like building charging hubs for fleets of electric buses in California and starting up new infrastructure in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America.